Hello, everyone. So our in-person class is still here doing a puzzle behind me. So you might see some people in and out. My mom's there as well. <laughs> She's not going to make it home in front of her computer. <laughs> just responding to somebody real quick on their email about logging on. Just one second. All right, so how was chapter two? That's a fun one, isn't it? <laughs> Even though the, the topic is uh, arch tyrant and perdition and all that, there's a lot of new concepts and, and things to learn. Am I in focus here? All of a sudden, I kind of blurry. Um, but yeah, so what were so? Oh, <laughs> you're supposed to remind me to say prayers, remember? Oh. <laughs> we got to say a prayer. Um, Cindy, can you say an opening prayer for us? Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Our dear Father in heaven, we are so grateful for this day. We are so grateful for the opportunity that we have to meet together as a group of thy sons and daughters to learn thy gospel and to be able to further our understanding of the words of Isaiah. We are so grateful for each other and for the wonderful spirit that is in this class and and for thy spirit that teaches and directs our lives. And please be with us tonight, be able, that we will be able to learn and to grow in our testimonies and these things we pray in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, amen. All right, so um, does anyone want to uh, kind of start us off? What was something new that you learned in this chapter that, that was new to you, even if, um, uh, you've already fast forwarded in the book, etc. whatever, but um, anything that was like a new topic or a new insight that you had while reading this chapter? I had, one. I had one. Um, I, I mean, it's not really anything new, but just the way they, the way they explained it or the way I understood it was kind of different. Um, just the concept of humiliation always precedes exaltation. And I just thought that was really interesting. And, and I kind of wrote down a few ways that I had seen that in my life, you know, that, that really that is the way it happens is the Lord humiliates you <laughs> or mm -hmm. brings you down so you can ascend. And I just thought, you know, that's all the more reason we need to be thankful for our trials and thankful for, you know, the times that he, um, brings us down, so to speak, I guess, or chastens us or whatever. So mm -hmm. I just thought that was a, a interesting concept. I also learned something new. I've been listening to those podcasts. Uh -huh. um, oh my gosh, they are so good. So fascinating. And yeah, just really fascinating. And um, oh, I'm trying to remember what it was now. Maybe I'll think about it and see if uh -huh. I can remember what it was that I was thinking about and then 
will come back to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I love this uh, humiliation exaltation principle because uh, for some reason, humiliation was like kind of a er word to me when it, I was first reading it. I was like, oh, the Lord doesn't humiliate us. But, but that humility, that humbleness that, okay, we need to take you down a peg, uh, fight against pride so that we can lift you higher kind of thing. It, it kind of right. answers the, the main question of why do bad things happen to good people? I mean, it, it, it's all part of the plan. And um, somebody in one of our Sunday groups, I can't remember, was talking about the principle of, we can almost kind of feel when a new humiliation is coming on kind of thing. Like, okay, the Lord has something, he's prepping me and, and we're gonna have a trial here pretty soon or, or an Abrahamic test or, or something. So once you kind of know this principle of the humiliation to exaltation, that it's, it's actually kind of helpful to kind of brace ourselves for those trials. And the spirit is kind of leading and guiding us and kind of warning us or prompting us that, that something's coming and, and go with it kind of thing. I, yeah. I love that principle. Yep. All right, anyone else? Uh, um, I think Shamala had her hand up. I did my the same thing. Um, I just open up and be super vulnerable. Um, because I ask anybody to do anything that wouldn't do the last few weeks, month or so, the spirit is like literally almost go down before my husband, and that is not my nature at all. And it's been a, a huge challenge for me um, to humble myself to that point and to just allow um, everything and anything and allow every choice that he makes. And it's to the point that not even to offer correction, but to literally not just be humble, but almost humiliated. Yeah. That word totally fits in some cases and to allow that um he's totally a good man but anyway but i have issues because i'm human <laughs> so that was a huge thing for me um yeah, yeah. to be able to yeah bow down before my husband and let it be how how the spirit wants it to be let the lord prevail on that Mm -hmm. and, knows. and that just means great blessings are coming whatever that looks like in the future i don't know but god does so mm -hmm. yeah yeah thank you for sharing um i've been pondering about um going down to help others and i know that i'm not the only one that has a wayward child um, and I just wanted to share this. Um, about five or six years ago, when he left the church after he returned home from his mission, I just was praying. I could tell that I was trying to help him because he's not very good with his finances. And I could tell he was just like checking out. And it was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I just envisioned him one day looking at his phone, talking with his friend and I call and he goes, yeah, it's just my mom decline. And I didn't want that to happen. And um, I just really prayed, Heavenly Father, let me know what I can do. 
And the answer that came was just love him. And that's when I kind of became the cheerleader mom. And whatever he said, whether I agreed with it or not, I just, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You'll be so good with that. That'll be so fun. And about six months of that, we got talking and he, I told him, he's like, mom, I really appreciate you. And I said, well, I just want you to know that I just am happy that you're creating the life that you want. And while it may not be um, what I agree with, I want you to know that I don't always condone it, but I'm happy for you. And that's what I want you to know is that I'm happy for you. He just cried and cried. Thank you, mom. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. And um, he's still going down a path that I'm not super thrilled about, but I realized that um, that he's my savior because it was at that point when I realized I needed to qualify for blessings for him and for the Lord to save him that I had to make changes in my life. And so in a way, he's my savior. Does that make sense? And, um, and I, I know the time will come when he returns and I'll get to tell him, thank you for the sacrifice that you made in descending to help me be humble and be better and for being my savior. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. Yeah, very much so. Um, as we dive into the Davidic covenant uh, in, in future chapters, I, I think that that will um, tie perfectly in, into your scenario and, and that story, especially with your son. It, yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, and like I said, he's still going down this path that it's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, but he's really teaching me to love. And then this is where I realized at that point, Mm -hmm. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm checking those boxes, but I'm not doing better and best. Like I thought I was, but my eyes were opened because of him. Mm -hmm. So it, I just find that an interesting, you know, I don't know if he covenanted with me, in the pre-existence or, or what that is, if our children do that or our loved ones do that, that they will descend. Now, of course, they could choose other ways to help us see, right? This is just the carnal way, I guess, or the natural man way. But, um, and they maybe didn't know that that was how they were going to do it. I don't know. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. And his descent, are we both raising each other up? Because he descended to lift me up. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. That's a very interesting thing. And, uh, you know, a, a fairly common thing in, in the church these days, you know, there's, there's lots of different um, parents going through it. Like I, I see Cindy uh, saying that, that she's having a similar experience with her kids and stuff. Uh, we, we see that. Uh, and this kid but... was like Hugh Nibley in the making, like his 
scriptural understanding and his ability to mom i read this in in isaiah and then i read this in the book of mormon in nephi and then i read this quote and mom you won't believe and i'm like oh my gosh like i can't even remember he can remember scripture verse page whatever and it was like oh my gosh and then yeah so anyway yeah for sure um rossin's raising her hand Oh, I just was going to say that um, uh, we had a very similar experience with our oldest son. And my husband looked at me one day and said that I think he is my greatest teacher. And so I just wanted to um, validate you that um, I it's Alethea, right? <laughs> um, that it's... I th and I think you're right, Cameron, it is pretty common these days. And um, I have very similar experience. It's very interesting. Yeah, thank you. All right, what other things did we uh, learn and, and gain out of this chapter? Uh, these chapters are, are quite extensive. They're, they're a lot uh, deeper than <laughs> the Abraham book for sure. Well, unfortunately, I didn't finish the chapter. <laughs> it's really long. But what I marked that I love that really stood out to me so far, as far as I've gotten, was what was it I marked? If I can find it, because it's a lot of pages. It's a big chapter. Um, oh, come on. If I can turn the page and hold my device. <laughs> Where is it? Oh, I thought it was just really interesting. I just, maybe it's the way it's worded. It says, we can't truly enjoy oneness with each other until we have oneness with God. The more we become like God by being God-like in our thoughts and actions, the more we are one with God and one with each other. I just, I love that. I don't know, just maybe the way it's worded, but it's, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. It's just learning to respect other people's, that's what came to me out of it. It's learning to honor and respect other people's choices, even if they're not our choices. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because we can disagree on, on things, but we, we can't be disagreeable or else we have that spirit of contention or uh, we have that um, dissent that, that Satan can, can uh, pull us in, in different ways. But um, if we are, are one, it doesn't mean that we all have to agree on every single thing all the time, but uh, at least be uh, loving in our uh, differences and, and things, I think is a, a huge principle, especially nowadays. I mean, we're, we're seeing a great winnowing in the church, right? Uh, it's hard to carry on some, some good, tough conversations sometimes. Uh, yeah, Cindy. Um, another thing that I really liked was that as we ascend up the ladder, then we make higher covenants and we, we have to live higher laws. Um, it just reminded me of the scripture where it says where much is given, much is required. And also made me think of the temple covenants. You know, as we, as we get closer to the celestial kingdom, we are um, required to live, you know, more and more like our heavenly father and, and higher laws, you know, laws, of consecration and whatnot. So anyway, I just, I, 
I love that concept. I guess I hadn't ever thought of it in that angle in that way before, so. Yeah, thank you. And then Stefan? Yeah, that concept was new to me also. I really enjoyed that. But during this chapter, I wrote down President Nelson like four different times. And I thought it was really interesting because it gives me such a, a better insight as to why he's doing everything that he's doing uh, to try to allow us to get on the higher rungs of that ladder and to be able to not be taken away by the evil that's in the world. And that just as, as much as there is evil, there is, you know, there's also good out there. And so I really appreciated the ability to just see some really good insights as to why he's doing what he's doing. Yeah, thank you. Is anybody a member of the Isaiah Institute Facebook group? It's a private group. Uh, you have to request to, to join in. Um, but anyway, there was quite the, the little tiff there today about uh, President Nelson and, and the things that he's doing and stuff. And I was like, oh, man, even amongst my, my fellow Isaiah people, uh, there's uh, different disagreements and, and things. You, you just see some, uh, some hard times when people um, uh, when all of us, I, I shouldn't just say people, I, I didn't join in on this one, but <laughs> I usually do have to throw in my two cents, but that we can't disagree and be disagreeable, you know, like this is a, a huge principle to, to loving each other and, and, and coming together on, on difficult topics. Um, but yeah, that was, that was an interesting one to, today to see. Uh, yeah, Sarah. So I can't, I can't help but think of an experience my husband had when he was on a mission to the Philippines. Um, he, he, he tells it every once in a while and just happened to tell it to somebody this week. And so it's kind of stuck in my brain, but, um, he was having a conversation with a, I think seventh, uh, seventh day Adventist or something like that, or Jehovah witness. They're really big. Both of those, um, religions are big in the Philippines. And when usually they like to get um, members of the church and kind of get pin them and you know get into an argument, and my husband for for whatever reason he started to, um, they'd say, well we believe in this. And he goes, well we believe in that. And then by the end of it, like that's what he kept saying is we believe in that too. And he kept finding those commonalities. And by the end of the conversation, the guy felt so awkward because there was never the rift. There was never that division that he was looking for. And so, um, the spirit was always there. And I think, it, it, and the missionary, his companion was like, how did you do that? And he's like, man, you've got to just find the unity. And as we do that, then we can open, you can have these conversations. There were a lot of things, you know, that man might've walked away going, oh, I didn't know that about member, you know, about this church. And so, even amongst ourselves, I think that oftentimes we're trying to say the same thing, but we're saying it in a different way. And we're so caught up on what, you know, how we feel about a certain thing. That's another thing is we all like, oftentimes our feelings are getting away with us. Like we need to take it back a little and be like, okay, well, this is maybe how I feel, but is this, does that really mean anything? Because sometimes what we feel and what's right you know, could be, can be different. So, um, I think that as 
this division continues uh, inside our church and outside, I think that it's really important to try and pray for opportunities to find that the unity that we do have in certain things that we can agree on. Yeah, thank you. And as uh, as Stefan was saying, and then um, uh, Cindy said in, in the chat there that she agrees that these uh, uh, tying things into President Nelson has taught and encouraged her with this week's reading. And um, yeah, that's where I was trying to go with it. I, <laughs> I kind of uh, got sidetracked on my Facebook thing there. But um, I, I too have President Nelson written all over these pages. Like there's so many enlightening things that, that we can see that we're living prophecy here. Uh, Isaiah wrote for our days and, and we're just seeing so many um, uh, blessings and, and things coming out of, of our living prophets and apostles. And one of those is the, the being united principle, right? Um, uh, the B1, uh, it's, it's more than just uh, uh, racial strife. It, it's just within our, our own membership of the church to, to always be loving and kind and building Zion principle. So I ordered my book and it hasn't arrived yet, but I've still listened to it on audible. So it's kind of hard. I guess I usually listen to it when I'm taking the dogs for a walk. So I can't sit and write things down, but um, the thing that really struck me today was how Heavenly Father lets the, the, the Antichrist or whoever, the adversary, um, do what he wants to do. And he thinks he's outsmarting. Like I've always thought, does he really think he's out? He knows the end from the beginning. And I just thought it was super interesting that he really does think he's outsmarting the Lord and that he's winning. And in actuality, the Lord's letting him do that because he's using him to bring about his purposes. And I just, I mean, I've always kind of known that. And especially, you know, in um, uh, reading the Cleon Skousen's the first 2000 years with the garden and everything, you know, um, but it's just interesting. It was really interesting to me that really the adversary thinks he's winning. And I don't know. Anyway, I just, that really stuck out to me. I don't know why, but it really stuck out to me. Yeah, for sure. And there's a couple of times in there where he says that um, the Antichrist or the arch tyrant is actually trying to ascend the ladder, but by his own means, you know, so the, the ones that try to self-exalt that will end up humiliated later. But uh, I'd never ever put that together in, in my head. Like, I think I knew it, but I didn't put it together that, oh, he's actually trying to, to ascend the ladder, but by his own means. That, that was a new principle for me, but how applicable that is to like Nimrod who built the Tower of Babel. Like he was trying to, to ascend. Uh, that, that was the purpose there. And, and how um, Nimrod and, and all of these um, uh, people are, are composites for this end time Antichrist. And uh, anyway, it was just very interesting uh, taking a look. I love studying Abraham and then Isaiah and, and seeing some of these parallels come uh, to, to fruition here in Isaiah's prophecies. But yeah. Um, yeah, and, and Stefan's raising his hand.
maybe it was by mistake. If you you can unmute if you have something to say there. But um, anyway, sorry. Yeah. So um, I was talking, but not unmuted. So I haven't studied Isaiah very much. I've studied a lot of things, but Isaiah is one of those things that I haven't. So this was absolutely fascinating. It was one of the reasons why I wanted to be in this group. But I, I need some help. On page forty-three, it says the the non-millennial residents on earth and the other or the bottom three and in that is jacob and israel the believers of a creator and god and that just hit me as to okay help me understand that because i, I don't get that piece so i just open that up to anyone to help me wrap my arms around that Yeah, I'll let other people explain that. I mean, if <laughs> oh, no, I was just going to say, say that again. What What did the book say? You're, you're talking about the page that has the five steps or something on it. Yeah, page 43. Oh, I'm thinking of one. Where it talks about the millennial residents on the earth. And it has, you know, the seven, it has the seven steps, but the bottom three. Are, are listed separately as non-millennial residents on the earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those bottom three rungs of the ladder get uh, wiped off with- Exactly, with right. But, so my question- Oh, sorry, it muted you again. It muted you again. Uh, I thought that the telestial people, you know, were not gonna make it, but I'm thinking, what about the believers in a creator and a God, right? Oh, I thought the three lowest levels were people that didn't even want to try to be good. They're like, they, they're wanting to be evil. Like, that's the way I understood it. Mm -hmm. So um, it kind of goes back to chapter one. There's, I, that was a, a hard thing for me to, to wrap my head around as well. But how Avraham is, is describing Jacob Israel that category, they're believers in God, but they never enter into covenants with God. That's only the, the Zion Jerusalem uh, level of the ladder that they enter into to covenants. And so Jacob Israel is where everyone is born on the earth, but um, it's, it's choosing to make covenants that allows one to ascend or the choice to descend to, to a Babylon level. Yeah, so, it makes Go ahead, Cindy. Uh, it just just made me think about um, how our church leaders are encouraging us to be doers of the word and not just sayers. And I think that that's what that has to do with is that we we can say that we believe in God and we believe in our Savior, but what are we actually doing about it? And if we're not doing anything about it, then that's what will put us in that third rung, I think. And I understood that third rung from the first. I haven't read the seven, second chapter yet. I'm still catching up, but I did get through the first one. And, and that level I understood was classified by, you know, Moses's lesser law. He wanted to take them to the higher level. They couldn't accept it. They weren't ready for it. So they got the lesser law, the letter laws. And so if, if that's all we're able to, to perform to, to, you know, follow a set of rules means our heart hasn't changed. We really haven't, you know, we're not following the spirit. We're just going through motions. So 
I appreciate that because that, that helps me. And what you said, Cameron, was one of the things I was starting to focus on. And that is, if the difference really is covenants, then, oh my goodness, you know, the first covenant we make, of course, is baptism, right? Uh, but then we go into the temple. And then I started thinking about all these hundreds of temples and the 20 some odd temples that just got announced, right? And I'm thinking, wow, temples are way more important than what I had given them before, if that's the distinguishing factor here. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that um, uh, one of the, the things that kind of threw me off when I first looked at that chart, I was like, well, look at Zion slash Jerusalem. I mean, we know that um, there's going to be other people besides just members of the church on the earth during the millennium. I mean, there's going to be good people. And so what does that mean for, for them? Like, is, is that disagreeing here? But then um, uh, thinking through it and, and discussing it with other people in the other groups and stuff, it's that it, it's any covenant. It doesn't necessarily need to be a saving ordinance covenant that, that we enter into, but anyone that is a covenant keeper that believes in God is like on the Jacob slash Israel level, but also keeps their covenants, whether it's the Sinai covenant that doesn't require a saving ordinance, or whether it's higher covenants that we actually enter into baptism, temple work, etc. Um, but anyone that, that makes and keeps covenants with God will be here during the millennium. And, and that's what the, the Zion slash Jerusalem level is versus the Jacob slash Israel. They, the Jacob slash Israel believe in God, but they're just believers kind of in name only. They, they never make covenants. They, they never strive to have a relationship with God. And that's why they are, are telestial terrestrial ones are trying to ascend the ladder and and trying to do it very purposefully like very calculated um wanting a, a relationship with their god I, I found that very insightful as i was wrestling with that uh this weekend in this chapter yeah alethea um did any of you watch the um book club the isaiah institute book club that avraham didn't make it to <laughs> yeah. but that was one of the things at the very end they talked about and they said so what is it we need to be doing and one of them said we need to be making covenants with the lord and i thought that was interesting so it goes yeah like they said personal covenants didn't they alethea yeah yeah personal covenants. because i've been kind of working on that this week and it's pretty cool like to not just like work on something but actually have a covenant then it feels more real and more like personal and more like, cause we, Heavenly Father shows us what we need to work on, right? So to make a covenant that you're gonna work on that or that you're not gonna do that again, or that like it, I think it's been really uh, growth for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so I talked to someone last week uh, who uh, joined the church and before they joined the church, they said that they were, they had really were, were very close to Jesus and, and had turned their life over to Jesus, right? And wanted to do all the same things. So I'm starting to think that 
that maybe that's where you where you were talking about the covenant people, those people who are striving and willing to make those changes in their life to be more godlike. And like the second page of this chapter says, actions speak louder than words, right? And maybe that's the part of where they may say they're believers, but their actions, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are so loud, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like there's a group of people in the Christian community that call themselves covenant keepers. And that's what they want to do is make covenants with the Lord. And like, there's a, even like a, like an association or something called covenant keepers. And that's what they do. And I, that's super interesting. That's very interesting. I've never heard that before. All right. Okay. Also, I wanted to say it was interesting when my one of my sons called and I was having to decline it and message him when we were talking. But when you when we brought up about when I brought up about um, the adversary trying to to um, win and he thinks he's doing it. And you said that he's trying to ascend the ladder. The interesting thing about my son that's wayward, and I've always described him this way, is that we're all at a and we all want to get to b and we all just make this line straight there but he's always wanted to prove he can get to b his own way and not have to do it the way everybody else does it and that's exactly what you were describing you know and what i and what avraham was describing was that the adversary wants to ascend in his own way not follow the rules it's like i can do it but I'm going to show you I can do it my way and still get there. And, and I think in a way, accepting the Lord's way is that humility, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, you just described my youth. <laughs> I, I was always <laughs> trying to prove that I could do it better or do it my own way and stuff. I mean, I, I had jet black hair with a white streak. I thought I was an emo kid and all this kind of stuff. Like I, <laughs> I tried to do everything exactly opposite and to, to prove people wrong. I, I purposely delayed a mission and, and, and all this, I, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah, you just summed up everything there. But when I finally decided to lay down my weapons of rebellion and, and just turn it over to the Lord that he has a, a much better plan then then it started actually working in my favor but <laughs> trying to do it your own way it it seems okay for for the minute but then once you come around you're like oh my gosh that was so stupid <laughs> he told me that so many times like i would he told us one time the only reason we had kids was to make us look good and he was completely serious you know <laughs> and um anyways and he's like oh my gosh yeah i was just stupid but he hasn't realized yet that he's still being just as stupid. You know, he's going to be 30 this year and actually next month. And he just hasn't gotten to that point yet. He's still like kicking against the pricks. I'm still going to show you. I'm still going to show you anyway, just interesting. Um, has anyone read uh, Timothy Ballard's books like the uh, Washington Hypothesis, the Lincoln Hypothesis, those ones? Um, 
if you have, he, he talks about this national covenant a lot in there and, and how this national covenant is so prevalent in, um, in the United States in those early years and, and how when we break the national covenant, these certain things come upon us, etc. And uh, I was so uh, enamored by that. I was studying it, etc. And then um, I kind of took a break for a year or so. And then I started getting into the Abrahamic covenant and um, then studying Isaiah here, like on page 56 is where I was finally had an aha moment of, oh, so Timothy Ballard was just using a different word for the Sinai covenant. The Sinai covenant is national covenant keeping. And um, there's the, the higher level of it where sons slash servants start making Davidic covenants on behalf of nations and people. But the Sinai covenant is, is very much what Moses did for his nation and and it's very much what was renewed with the the birth of america uh george washington if, if you study his life and and the things there i know that there's lots of uh, discussion on uh timothy ballard's scholarly credentials but uh, regardless of that if you're just studying washington's life and and those things he was actively becoming a a moses and establishing a new national Sinai covenant with this country. Uh, very amazing how that all ties in. Uh, I never thought that uh, that book would lead into this book at all, but um, I found that very eye-opening as, as I was reading this and, and seeing it on a deeper level, like, oh, okay, so there's lots of different principles of this in, in play, and look at how much we have strayed from our national covenant, from our Sinai covenant here. Um, uh, look at the Ten Commandments. <laughs> They're all out the window. We murder. We commit adultery. I mean, all of these things are, are, are legal, and, and we're, we're act, uh, actively pursuing them, not just um, acknowledging that that they're there and and that we shouldn't do them we just throw the ten commandments out the window whether it's uh, by law or or by attitude um, but we're breaking that and now we as a nation we deal with the repercussions but that's another great thing that comes out of um, isaiah in this book is knowing that if you're faithful you don't have to necessarily go through all of the things that the nation goes through that you can make higher covenants with the Lord and protect and be protected through those different uh, scenarios that, that play out. Uh, because uh, God needs to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, yet he, he pulls out Lot and his family, right? Um, those that will come. And, uh, uh, you know, we, we always talk about the call out and stuff in, in this group, but um, that, that's a very real principle. It follows patterns. And, and it's very much a composite for what will happen in these end times. I found that very interesting. That was eye-opening to me as I was reading this chapter. We went back, we lived in Virginia for a year and we went to the World Trade Center before it was, you had to pay to go in and they were still building it. And it was really interesting to watch. But as we walked by, I saw this church with an old graveyard and I was just drawn to it. So we all went in there and it actually was the church where um, George Washington uh, made that covenant and, you know, was sworn in. And the reverence in that building, at least for me, and then the church, you know, here they had this pew, it was all boxed around and they had the history of 
George Washington, but then everywhere in the church, they were touting all the help they gave to 9-11, which is a whole other story, right? And you can go back, is that in Isaiah about the, um, uh, how we're, how we're uh, being prideful in rebuilding and all of that, right? But that's what they were touting, what, the, what their church had done during 9-11. And I thought they have the covenant here and that's not even what they're proud of. They're proud of, I don't know, it, but it, it really kind of made me sad, but it was one of the most, it was a very spiritual experience to be in there and to see that. Yeah, for sure. Has anyone ever seen a painting? I mean, this is kind of off topic, but uh, a painting of George Washington's inauguration. How was he dressed? He like know, a Mason, wasn't he dressed in his? Yeah, in his, Mason, but yeah. like, look at that with fresh eyes and with our temple covenants. Right. You'll see a lot there in that painting. Uh, and, very interesting. and the chapter and verse that he had the Bible open to yes. was significant too. I can't remember what it was, but it was significant. Yeah, it was Joseph of Egypt's prophecy That's right. uh, for this nation. Yeah. yeah, very, very significant there. Um, yeah, what other things did, did we study? Um, one of the things that, that really stood out to me was um, the, the principles on, on page 66 and 67, where, um, it, I mean, it's just describing our day so much. If you look at the bottom of 66, it says, I know, this is the Antichrist talking, I know where you dwell, your comings and goings, and how stirred up you are against me. Um, does that sound like Facebook uh, with the 2020 election at all. <laughs> I mean, we were uh, being, I mean, we still are, but um, Facebook and, and Google listen to our conversations. I mean, we, they, our cell phones, yeah, they know cell exactly. Phones. They follow us, our credit cards follow us with the chip in it. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know how many of you have, but I refuse to have the Echo or the Alexa in my house. <laughs> But I pretty much do with my smart TVs and my computers and my phones. <laughs> I know. The more I try to get away from it, the more I'm like, oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> yep. And then on page 67, this was like, when I read this, I like got chills. So um, when it talks about Habakkuk's prophecy of a wicked one who sets his nest on high to escape calamity on the earth. And um, a little bit further down, a person could possibly rule the world from a space station or a cosmograd, according to that prophecy. It's like, ooh, interesting. So if in the end times, Antichrist is releasing plagues, etc., like, wouldn't that be a great place to escape those things? Uh, <laughs> like, rule from, from a space station? Like, that seems so far-fetched, but I, I, if last year taught us anything, it's to, to expect the unexpected. Like, nothing's out of the, the realm of possibility here. But I, I had never heard of Habakkuk's prophecy before, and, and that was very enlightening, um, reading that and kind of putting things in context. I found that very interesting. Maybe somebody knows this. You were talking about um, the Tower of Babel. When my son was still active, he thought, remember that city of Enoch was taken up in the process of time? He thought that that's what the Tower of Babel was, was trying to get up to the city of Enoch. Yeah, that, that's in uh, different apocryphal and pseudepigraphal records. Is it? That 
the the city of Enoch was floating up and um and Nimrod was actively trying to ascend to to reach it okay yeah because he had thought that and I didn't know I was trying to look at the timeline and see if that could actually be true because I've always thought that story was just odd like really who thought they were going to get up to heaven like that's the stupidest thing right but if there was a city up there that makes a lot of sense uh -huh. And so if you look at the, the different translations there, the, the word that's used for heaven uh, is like the, the meaning for sky or atmosphere, like they were trying to ascend to heaven, meaning they were trying to get City of Enix, because look at what City of Enix had to go through before all of their um, righteousness, etc. I mean, they were in all out war, they were escaping and battling and, and all of that. And Nimrod wasn't going to, to let them just fly away. <laughs> like he was trying to run up a tower to, to, to get to him. Uh, very interesting story and tie ins how, how that happens. So that again, is an example of saying I can get from A to B and do it my own way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much so. A way I... to invent the Lord. I like page uh, 63. I never thought of Egypt being America, uh, how Isaiah said that that fits Isaiah's description of Egypt is America. And then below it talks about the economy crashing, the civil war, you know, the politicians, the nations, and, and how God, you know, uh, let this happen. But then later on in the chapter, it says, but he's in control of everything, just like President Nelson is saying. And, it, and if you stay righteous, then you're gonna be okay. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I had never put, uh, I would never equate America with Egypt, but um, uh, through uh, this explanation, I'm starting to, to come around to that. It, it, it's still kind of a foreign concept. It just seems like, oh, Egypt should be grouped in with like Babylon or whatever, but um, but having uh, all those tie-ins and the idea of composites and stuff was was new to me. Yeah. So you were talking about um, the children of Israel, and you know how they were. Um, not wanting the higher law. I often think that we'll replay out the children of Israel. I also think we'll play out again, the opening of the church, the beginning of the restoration, but it makes me wonder. I mean, it makes us be a little self-reflective. Like, are we denying the higher law too? You know, President Nelson telling us to do the work so that we can be taught by the Lord, um, to hear him, to have the Holy Spirit be our guide and how many of us aren't willing to do that because we just want to follow the prophet and have the prophet tell us what to do and we don't see that maybe you know and it makes me reflect a little bit more about me like what else do I need to do like I don't I've always you always look at them and say they're so stupid why and I don't want future generations to say the same thing about about us, about me, you know, my children to say that about me. Um, so it makes us kind of reflect and see what are we rejecting? Yeah, very much so. Um, uh, 
last year when <laughs> all of that discussion on, on Moss's group about traditions of men, et cetera. And um, one phrase that, that really caught my attention was if, if we hold on to the traditions of men, we're at uh, in danger of not recognizing Christ when, when he comes again. And I was like, well, no, we're part of the church. Of course, we're going to recognize when Christ comes again. I mean, why else would we be members of the church kind of thing? But then that started, um, I just started pondering it, started letting it uh, sink in and, and how true that is, that just like the Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and all of the different sects of uh, Jewish people at the time of Christ didn't recognize him. I mean, they were part of the church and they thought that they would recognize the Messiah when he came, but but they didn't because they were hanging on to, to their traditions. And there's lots of different traditions, um, but idolatry is always the struggle of the covenant people. Idolatry in all of its various forms. Um, and, and basically it just boils down to pride. Um, what, no other gods before me, and, and yet we always put ourselves um, higher and, and try to elevate people uh, above God. It, it's very much a pride thing that, you know, Benson and, and many other prophets have, have warned us about. Beware of pride. It, it will sneak in and, and catch you unawares. I think that's a huge principle. <laughs> yeah, chapter three is, my mom is just telling me, chapter three is going to be good. Yeah, it, it's a hard one. Uh, if, if, <laughs> if you're finding yourself steeped in idolatry, like like we are finding out as we were reading chapter three, it's going to be a hard pill to swallow, but it's fun. It, it's a, <laughs> a good learning experience. <laughs> I, rem I remember Sister Marriott's last talk, I think it was, where she talked about her conversion and that we need to help people drop the traditions. And as she had help dropping the traditions. And I remember thinking, what is she talking about? Because I was kind of going along that path of study about traditions. Uh, and then shortly after that, I want to say it was Brother Hallstrom, Elder Hallstrom, gave a talk. And he specifically talked about, and I thought that was interesting. It's been my least favorite holiday. Um, and I, I've never really celebrated it, even when we had kids, um, how his granddaughter or grandson came home with a paper about Halloween. And he talked a little bit about it. And I'm like, that's interesting. And anyway, you know, I know Masa is kind of feels that way about Christmas, but I just remember thinking that that was, that was interesting that even she talked about dropping the traditions of men and what traditions are they? Yeah, for sure. And even this last conference, there was five or six talks on on dropping traditions so that we can progress forward as a church. Uh, it was very interesting. Um, so before we we close out, I want to make sure that we cover page fifty one. I, I think that this is a huge topic here. Um, toward the top of fifty one, it talks about the. Uh, some different blessings uh, that are our covenant blessings here. So, um, although Jehovah and his servant suffer evils, there exists a redeeming factor in their adversity. And then it says that two parallel verses in the servant-tyrant parallelism, for example, show that the suffering Savior receives an honorable burial, which is a covenant blessing, whereas the arch-tyrant receives no burial, which is a covenant curse. 
The next parallel verse shows that the suffering savior has offspring, also a covenant blessing, whereas the arch tyrant has no offspring, a covenant curse. And so, I mean, there's there's a lot of deep thinking there uh, if we're, we're looking at it. Is it talking about Jehovah or the end time servant? And so if the end time servant is a, a translated being, how does he receive an honorable burial? Uh, you know, Christ received an honorable burial. And what does honorable burial even mean? Um, uh, is it always a covenant blessing? Because, I mean, there's covenant keepers like, say, Joseph Smith, for example, uh, a great honorable covenant keeper, right? But um, he, he didn't have a, a, a proper burial, as, as we would assume, for, for many years. And so what does honorable burial mean? Are there exceptions to that rule? Or is it always a covenant blessing? Is it divine law that that happens? And then uh, going down to the suffering savior has offspring. You know, we we talk about it in shrouded mystery all the time as, uh, as a church, but that the savior had offspring. Of course he was married. Of course he had kids to fulfill all righteousness. Those are our covenant blessings. And um, uh, we are exalted through our, our children and, and, and that kind of uh, topic there. Whereas the arch tyrant has no offspring. I find that very interesting. So when we're looking for an antichrist, are we looking for a childless person? Or is this more on a spiritual nature? So I would just like to hear anybody's thoughts on, on all of that of, of covenant blessings and, and those specific ones, burial and offspring. What ha, have you learned or um, what ideas and thoughts do you guys have on that? remember when I heard that because I thought oh that's a tough one because how many good members of the church don't have offspring so is I can't believe that that's a curse so I actually had been kind of pondering that so I'm glad you brought that up because I don't have the book I can't open it up and jog my memory of things that I read Mm -hmm. But yeah, look at Abraham and Sarah that we studied so much about that specific principle right there. I mean, they were not being cursed in any way, shape, or form, but it was part of their humiliation process before exaltation, right? And so the delay of those blessings isn't uh, a curse, but in the end, it, it amounts to innumerable posterity. And so kind of the, the greater the humiliation, the greater the exaltation is um, where, um, I don't know, the depths of our humiliation must equal be the, the heights of our exaltation. If we just have a, a little dip, it, it's not going to, to springboard us near as high kind of principle maybe. Um, but yeah, any, any other thoughts and ideas? So it makes me remember about never have I given a commandment that was temporal, that all things are spiritual. So the opposite of that being, you know, how many good covenant people don't have children, is that more of a spiritual eternal than it is a temporal in this life? Yes, very interesting. I don't know about the burial. 
<laughs> yeah, neither do I. I have <laughs> my little thoughts and stuff, but um, so Jamie, remind me what you said. So in, in our in-person class, you had a great question, but I, I'm trying to phrase it in my mind and I can't think of it, so. I said, what did I say? Oh, I said, wrong. I said, all of the traditions that come through, I think especially the Catholic Church have root in something. So is last rites that they perform, that the, is that a covenant? Is that some form of a lost covenant or something that used to be done in the original church that, had, that we don't do anymore? And then, and then also we dedicate our graves. So that's part of a burial service. Is that also part of a covenant? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so could you hear her or do you need me to repeat? I could hear. Okay, so yeah, is burial, is death and burial a covenant? And like, so yeah, like many other churches have, you know, truths and, and different things from, from different traditions. So like uh, last rites and, and all of that, it, it just makes me wonder, like there's there's interesting things there with this honorable burial uh, that, that might, we might get clues in, in studying other religions and how they approach it and stuff. I, I don't, I'm not very versed in other religions, I sad to say, but I, you know, a, a brief uh, overview kind of thing. They, last rites is, is huge, right? To, to them and, and to make sure that you get that done before you die. I was reading a book. I'm thinking it was a book about Zion. I think that's where I read it about Joseph never spoke poorly of the Catholic church. And when he was told about the creeds, he wasn't talking about like the Nicene creed and all of that. He was talking, the Lord was talking more about the creeds of the other faiths and those things that had crept in. And so that makes me, when she said that about the Catholic church, um, that makes me go back and remember what I had read, how Joseph actually never, we always thought like the great horror of the earth was the Catholic church and it was so bad. And in actuality, Joseph didn't get that from the first vision. He felt it was more of the other, the Protestant churches and the things that they had instituted that were wrong. So then what Jamie, is it Jamie, what she said, um, maybe rings a little true. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Um, <clears throat> so if anybody has anything else on that or, or not, but um, that, and just opening it up to, to the chapter as, as a whole, we're, we're out of time, but uh, anything that we want to kind of finish up on, anything that we skipped over that we really want to talk about? But yeah, so um, next time, chapter three, it's it's a fun one. <laughs> it'll it'll take you for a ride if you're if you're willing to go on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Babylon rebels and worshippers of idols. Um, uh, it's so fun as as we start uh, going up the the ladder with each of these chapters. Uh, I remember uh, listening to them as I was working and. Uh, 
listening to chapter four and then chapter five, and it just gets better and better and more hopeful. And we're kind of ascending out of this pit uh, <laughs> kind of thing where we're starting out here in, in the lower levels, learning some different things and different concepts, but then it takes some really fun, exciting jumps and, and leaps forward uh, in, in chapter four, five, and six. I mean, all of them, but um, anyway, I, I hope that this is not too daunting reading a chapter a week. It's, it's quite a lot of work, um, but it's just prepping us for when we actually get to uh, read the actual chapters of Isaiah. That's going to be some, some heavy duty reading each week, but um, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to, uh, uh, to keep going on and, and uh, show up to class, even if you haven't finished the chapter and, and finished the reading, because we have lots of great input and discussions. I, I love learning from, from everyone's perspectives and uh, that we can, can pose these hard questions and, and get some insights from, from everyone. Um, but yeah, uh, if no one has anything else, we'll we'll go ahead and, and kind of disband for the night. Uh, I thank everyone for for their comments and and, and the fun study here. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll study up on on chapter two next week. I remembered that one thing I was going to share at the beginning yes. <laughs> from the podcast that I'd never thought about before. It was just, and maybe maybe you guys it's common knowledge. I don't know, but I never thought about it. Um, he was talking about the millennium. And how, you know, it's supposed to be a thousand years. And he said, but that, but, but that's a thousand years. It's going to be a terrestrial um, world. And so it's not going to be a thousand years how we know it's going to be a, a thousand of God's years, where we know that, that um, a thousand of our years is a day for God. And so a thousand of God's years, because it's going to be a terrestrial um, world, that's going to be a long time. And I never thought about that before, but I thought that was so interesting. So anyway, that just kind of blew my mind. <laughs> I've listened to all those podcasts and I didn't get that. That, that, one's, that one's really blowing my mind. I haven't yeah. considered that before. That makes it's, in number, it's in nine. It's in number nine. The uh, podcast. I listened to like eleven of them this week. They're so good. I love them. <laughs> that makes total sense, though, and I'd never thought about that. That's really cool. Yeah. So it's going to be a lot longer than the thousand years of our time that we think. You know, where a half an hour of the Lord's time is twenty years of our time. So yeah, crazy. That's look at all the temples we have, and we still will be rushing to get all that temple work done. Right. Long time. Wow. That's just mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to share that because it kind of blew my mind when I listened to that today. <laughs> For sure. I, I seen that Libby just posted what podcast. Um, it's Avraham Giliati, so this author, he came out with a podcast earlier this year. There's 30 episodes, I believe. And it goes, it, I think it's called Book of Mormon Prophecy yeah. or uh, something like that. And yeah. so takes the Isaiah chapters of the Book of Mormon and kind of uh, lays those out in quick little 20 minute chunks of different concepts that uh, play out in, in our time from, from that. I can share the link. Uh, I can find that really quick and, and stuff. But any last comments before we go? I'll find that link real quick. Yeah. If anybody hears when Avraham's going to be on the book club will you let us know like i 
I followed it, but I haven't actually seen anything written in that yet. It's not the one that you joined. It's just the one that you follow. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you'll let us know, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hopefully they, they get them on this time. <laughs> I don't know what exactly was technical difficulties or what. I know Avraham's not super computer <laughs> techie like Rodolfo is, but uh, they're trying. They're, they're getting their glitches worked out. But he is like, what is he, 74, 76? <laughs> yeah, he's getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, it's been fun. I uh, thank you all for for coming and, and sharing and everything. We'll we'll see everyone next week. <laughs> Bye.